So this is as much a public service announcement as it is a factoid intro, just so you know. Okay. I base the desirability factor of a restaurant or an eating establishment off of what soda they serve, probably more than I should. Not surprising. I, I, I think if you know anything about me, probably from this podcast, maybe you know already enough about me. I prefer somewhere with Coke on the tap. You know what I'm saying? And so I I love places with Coke on the tap. Wendy's, for, for example. Uh, Wendy's is not my favorite fast food place, but I will choose Wendy's over other fast food places because they have Coke. McDonald's have- has great Coke. Taco Bell has some of the worst soda in the biz. I love Taco Bell, but it's they got Pepsi, first of all. Their Pepsi that they do have isn't good, but I do like Baja Blast. I was going to say Baja Blast for sure. Have you had any sort of betrayals where uh, one of your favorite fast food places turns coat and switches to Pepsi? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today. And it's not my favorite fast food place or anything, but a place that we frequent because... Kirsten loves it is Dunkin Donuts and coffee shops. I don't drink coffee, so I don't really love going to coffee shops. That's why dirty sodas was so intriguing to me, right? Uh, Coffee shops also are notorious for not even serving any kind of soda because they have all these other kinds of drinks like steamers and refreshers. They, They just don't have soda. One thing I love about Dunkin' Donuts is you could always buy a bottle of Coke. So I would get Kirsten her drink, and I would get a bottle of Coke. And we went through Dunkin' Drive-Thru yesterday morning, and I ordered Kirsten her drink, and I said, I'll have a bottle of Coke. And she said, we only have Pepsi. And I was like, are you kidding? And so now... If you look on the website, it's just a secret thing that happened. It's not like an announcement anyone made, but somewhere behind the scenes, Dunkin' Donuts flipped to Pepsi. So this is a public service announcement. If you care at all about that like I do, go to a different coffee shop. Welcome to the Factoid Podcast. You didn't ask for it, but we're going to tell you about it anyways. I'm Peyton Gessel. And I'm Chris Humphreys. One of the more unique aspects of my job as a video editor is that I get to interact with voiceover artists. I edit a lot of short form video content, maybe 30 second, 15 second, minute long videos. And we're usually not capturing any audio when we're capturing the video. And it usually works out best for us, for our team to write a script, and then we send it to a voiceover artist. And then we have a recording session where we get to call in and listen to them, give the takes, provide feedback, and then they send us a file later. But boy, these voiceover artists have so many interesting things that I've learned over the years. But in my first voiceover call that that I was a part of, It was actually for a company that makes uh, golf carts. And when we were doing this video, I was still pretty new to the company and I was just along for the ride. And we scheduled maybe a 30 minute call with this guy and he knocks it out of the park within five minutes. It was only a few takes. We didn't really need to do much else to get it to sound good. But we had all this time left that he was booked for us to do whatever we wanted. And when I was reading ahead of time about this guy, I'm on his website, I see that he has very good accent work. 
He is able to do an Irish accent, a Scottish accent, several different types of British accents, and he promotes that he is willing to do this, so he's at least confident that he can fake it pretty well. He's an American guy, and it takes every fiber of my being to not just say, yeah, so that 30-second video take was really good, but I think that our Irish viewers would really need a, an alternate with your best Irish accent and then just keep that file for myself. Uh, <laughs> I did not do it, and I kind of regret it, but one of these days I do hope to just take one of our voiceover artists and have them do just a, a dumb version of a track and play a prank on my coworkers with it. Uh, but today I wanted to talk about a very specific accent that has been developing in the English language. I'm going to tell you about the Antarctic accent. Antarctic. Yes, from Antarctica. So if you break down a recipe of how to form an accent, you need basically three things. You need people who live in a community who are isolated from other communities. And if there's any sort of incentives to cooperate together, like if survival is very difficult or if everyone likes each other or you're all stuck inside of a building together for eight months and don't get to talk to anyone else it can help accelerate this and make it grow faster. So, especially in America, over the development of America, you have different pockets of people where communication isn't happening a lot to outside states or countries. And that's how a lot of these accents that we know today in America formed. So, if you think about the kind of person who is on Antarctica, they're most likely a researcher. And Antarctica has eight-month winters, which it makes sense, but I never thought of that before. So during the summer is when a lot of the crews come down to Antarctica and they're doing a lot of research because the weather is a little bit milder. But there is always a group of people in a few of these stations who stay over winter, and they call them the winterers. And the, the winterers are very isolated from the outside world and they have to be pretty self-sufficient just because if something goes wrong they don't have a lot of lifelines to help solve the problems and it also means there's very little connection to outside people so about five years ago there were some other scientists who wanted to do research on the researchers and they had 11 winters who signed up for this it was seven British people, one American, two Germans, and one Icelander. And it sounds like the setup to a joke. It literally does. That's what they I was They do thinking. not walk into a bar. <laughs> uh, but um, what is interesting about this group is that they all speak English, but they all come to English from different ways. Some of them are English as a first language. Some of them are English as a second language. And... The The point of this is that their accents are, are different. There is not one group of people who all speak the same accent. And they have people who, who are down there doing research but not participating in the experiment who will record audio and they will have all of the winterers say certain words. And then over the course of their eight months, they will go in and do recording sessions and then compare them at the end and see what all has happened. And... It actually turned into a new accent over the course of the eight months. Hmm. And it might not be the most obvious thing. It's not like a radical transformation, but you can start to see the shift that happens in some of the ways that they pronounce things. 
So one of these is called the diphthong vowel fronting, which essentially means, if I gave you an example, if they said the word house, it might start to sound a little bit more like house, where the O sound, the O-U sound, which is a diphthong, kind of moves towards the front of the mouth as opposed to being a little bit farther back. And in addition to the diphthong vowel fronting, there were a few other like very small things that happened where everyone's accent started converging in the middle. There is this really weird chart that I've seen people on linguistic YouTube, which I've spent too much time <laughs> in. Uh, if you're a speech therapist, this probably makes a lot of sense to you. There's like this chart of all the different sounds that a language can have. And I think there are ways that if you know how this works, you can predict what is going to happen or if an accent shifts, it's going to go this way. So the, the researchers were able to determine this is probably what's going to happen. And it truly did happen. And the person who showed the most change in their accent was the German woman. And the reason that they think that she developed the Antarctic accent the most prominently is because the English was not her first language. So if you're speaking a language that is not your first, you're going to be a lot less confident about how to say things. It doesn't come as naturally. So if you hear people that are speaking differently than you and they're starting to develop this new accent, you're more likely just to catch on to that and pick it up and start continue to take it even further. Yeah, they're thinking about it way more than the rest of the people are probably. Absolutely. Speaking, you should just speak English, but if you are working to speak English, you think about what you're going to say. Right. You think, sense. oh, no, am I saying that word correctly or not? So like I mentioned, my YouTube algorithm has been pointing me more towards linguistic topics. I've learned about things like the great vowel shift of the 1600s, mm. where there are certain names of cities in England that when you try to pronounce them today, it doesn't really make sense on why you say the word the way it is. And it's because those cities existed before 1600 and everyone changed how they said vowels around that time. And those names of those cities are left as kind of an artifact for this. So I've been looking into people who research theoretical accents and future accents. Hmm. So people have talked about how if we colonize Mars, there will definitely be a Martian accent just due to the separation from Earth. And they don't know what that will sound like. It will depend on the people who go there. But I also found a video where a guy was talking about the American accent and how eventually it's going to shift so far from English that people would consider it its own language. So this guy actually read several paragraphs in what he calls future American. And he, in the same way that people were studying in the Antarctica accent, he's able to predict how accents are going to change in America over time. So then there's this other guy I've been watching who talks about the concept of hard attack. So in the whole future American thing, the guy predicts that we're going to be less intentional about the words we say, and they're going to slur together a little bit. And you can kind of witness some of it just in the way Americans talk versus uh, other people like from other English speaking countries talk. But this guy I've been watching who's into hard attack is saying that we're actually going to be more intentional and hit the letters harder than we normally would in a way kind of like this, which is similar to how Germans speak. German really employs hard attack in the language. But I think both of these ideas are completely at odds. But what's been fascinating to me is that 
the guy who's been researching heart attack only notices it in presenters. So because we're doing this podcast, I am going to enunciate a little bit more for emphasis. But when I'm talking with my friend on the phone, I let everything slur together like this. So I know we're getting a little bit off topic here, but I cannot stop thinking about these linguistics things. And I'm wondering if maybe I should have been a voice actor. Now, I don't know about you, but I watch all my television and movies with the closed captions on. Do you do that? I only do it for video games. I do not want to do it for movies and TV shows. I want to be able to look at the scenes and the shot composition. And I find that when I have captions on, when I'm watching a TV show or movie, I just look at that bottom little strip of the text and I don't look at the video. I respect that, especially with you being the video guy that you are. I understand wanting to be able to analyze all the shots and everything. And my reasoning for not doing it originally is very similar. I I found myself just reading the words and not actually watching. Like you're watching, but you're watching to read the words, not really to watch. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so I I used to not do it, but now we we watch it with everything. I've gotten used to it, and now I, I don't really want to watch stuff without it. You know what I mean? And so now it's to the point where I get annoyed if the captions are ugly. You know what I mean? Like certain things, because they don't always look the same. They're not that standardized, which is really interesting. They're all different on every platform and whatever. But I started watching with subtitles and when i started i didn't i didn't even realize how many words i like misunderstood or didn't know were happening until i started watching like movies i'd already seen with subtitles on but growing up my grandpa was hard of hearing right and so my all my growing up years anytime we ever watched tv at his house we always had to have the closed captions on and that for him almost always showed itself on fox news live I watched Fox News with my grandpa a lot. And as a kid, you don't really want to watch Fox News. At least I didn't, right? Right. I watched I watched too much news as a kid now that I think about it. It was all local news. Sure. But like what 10-year-old just sits down and wants to watch the news? I would write into the news. Uh, my, <laughs> my sister and I, we actually had an alias and we were like, we wrote in about the Quiznos we love the subs commercials. I forget why it made sense. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. There's this horrifying commercial that came out about 20 years ago for Quizno subs. These, it was a very low budget commercial that kind of went viral at the time. Uh, you should watch it later. But we wrote in with our opinions on that commercial and they read our stuff live on the air. No way. That's actually amazing. I never, I never really, I didn't really watch the news unless I was in my grandpa's house on Fox News. Yes. So normal, normal kids do not want to watch the news. Separate, separate uh, note. Are Quiznos still a thing? They're almost gone, I think. Because I actually, growing up, about 20 years ago, probably, one came to the town I lived in. I loved it, actually. I really liked Quiznos. So, kind of miss them, I guess. But, yeah, kids don't generally want to watch the news. But on Fox News, what I found myself doing, if I wasn't reading the subtitles at my grandpa's house, in the corner, you know the logo for the TV station? Yeah. Well, on the 24-hour Fox News channel, that was a slowly spinning 3D model of the Fox News logo. And so I just would, like count how long it took in my head for a complete rotation of the cube (laughs) of fox news and so i would find myself watching that and just like imagining like we're about to do one more rotation it took a while right i remember going through all of that but something i noticed often 
when watching Fox News with my grandpa with the subtitles is that sometimes they would get messed up. Like the closed captions, they always come as a delay, right? And then eventually, almost always on not like on any kind of schedule, but randomly they would start getting messed up and be jumbled up and be the wrong characters. And then it would stop for about 30 seconds and then it would just come back on, right? And I didn't understand what that was. And so I would ask my grandpa about it, like, hey, what's happening? And he would say, oh, they're messing up. And I said, what do you mean they're messing up? He's like, the people typing the words are messing up. And I was like, that's funny. Well, it turns out there's a person (laughs) typing the words, right? Which I should have known. But it turns out still to this day on live broadcasts, someone is sitting somewhere watching it happen and typing out all the words as they happen. And that's how live subtitles are still a thing, right? If you watch movies, those are all like done later and they just, someone listens, they probably pay a contractor, they listen, they type it out, they give them a file with words and they match it up yeah. on the video. These days, it, a lot of it is actually sped up just with, I know AI is like a buzzword for everything, but um, one thing you can do is you can upload any sort of video to a, like a subscription service and you can get a transcription down very quickly and then it will also list the confidence it has in that it got the words right and then what you do is you have a proofreader go through and just double check and make sure that like hey the name of this this proper noun is pronounced correctly uh well is written out correctly but yeah it it is sped up but yes it is there's a legit person basically and 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 i think like you said there's technology that has changed it uh, but like it's a legitimately a person watching a live broadcast just like you and me who has the ability to type it out super fast. And so like what would literally happen is it would get messed up. And I, and I've figured out there are multiple ways they do it now. Like you said, they use AI. And like, if you watch a YouTube video, every YouTube video has at least at minimum AI generated, like computer generated captions. And you can kind of tell, like if you ever watch those, yeah, uh, it's not perfect. You know what I mean? Like they mess up a lot because people have accents or they say things really quickly and it'll get the wrong, but they're pretty good though, too. Like they've really gotten better over the years. Um, but with things that need that, like live television or sporting events, all that stuff, these things always need captions. It turns out the way they do that is kind of fascinating. Uh, a stenographer like they use in a courtroom, right? will type this out. And so from, from what I can gather, this is how it works. So when you type on a stenography machine, It's like super weird, completely different than any other form of typing. Like, I guess you type phonetically versus with like letters, right? So it's like almost based off of the sounds you make and the vowels you use. And like, they'll type multiple letters at one time. So like, if you're saying like, hello, you would type like, hey, whatever. I don't really know how it works. And it's obviously a lot more complicated than I can explain to you because it takes like a year or two to even get a degree, like to be able to use like a stenography machine or whatever. Can we buy one of these? Let me just check quick. Uh, what, what would you call this? I think it's called a stenography machine, a stenographer's tool. I don't know. Ooh, okay. So we're looking at one to $2,000 okay. to get these and they all look very beige. If that tells yeah. you how well, old that's they the are. Thing. Well, that's another thing is like you see them in the movies. You see the lady in court sitting there uh, and, and 
they all look the same, but still to this day, they still look like that. It's like <laughs> an antiquated piece of, it looks like a Windows 98 computer. Like yeah. that's basically what this thing looks like, right? Um, but how I guess it works is it uses all of that data that you're inputting. So they call them chords when you push multiple ones at a time. Oh, like, so you do like piano. Like a, yeah, like you're playing, you know, a triad or something. So you play one, two, three, four different inputs at one time. So you're able to type like an entire word with one keystroke rather than like a bunch so it's a lot quicker but it also goes into like some kind of software where there's like a database of different options and you when used in the context with this and when used it like there's a bunch of things that help it to be able to be like more accurate because these people can type like stenographers in order to be like a stenographer in court you have to be able to type if i'm not wrong i think it's like at minimum 250 words a minute 99 percent accurate wow yeah which is like that's like double the speed anyone could ever reach on a qwerty keyboard like the fastest typers ever on a normal keyboard layout are like maybe slightly like 150 maybe like that's just with the keyboard layout that everyone uses that's as fast as you can type so it's pretty mind-blowing that like they're the ability exists to type this way, right? Yeah. It makes you wonder why, like, they didn't teach everyone how to type like that. Like, why isn't that the way that... Uh, maybe it's just super complicated. I mean, it is super complicated. Yeah, th that's a very interesting thought. Because I know with the way the QWERTY keyboard is... I hope this is not incorrect, but I'm pretty sure that it was... Well, it was developed before computers, obviously. But there was a guy whose last name was Dvorak. I think it was like Augustus Dvorak. Mm -hmm. He tried to make a keyboard layout for computers that was better for typing fast. So he puts all the vowels on the home keys mm -hmm. because those are the ones you use the most. Right. And I don't know exactly why they settled on QWERTY as the one that everyone uses. But in theory, I think if you got very good at typing in Dvorak, you could type faster than QWERTY, but I can't imagine it's faster than the stenographer. It's not faster than a stenographer because I'm pretty sure like there's like typing competitions, right? Which stenography machines don't count. You can't use one of those. And all the fastest typers use Dvorak, like that keyboard layout. So wow. I don't know much about it other than it's different. But I think the reason, like everyone knows Dvorak is faster now, like in those communities, but the reason they don't switch to it is because everyone uses QWERTY. It's like, it's just not, yeah. it's, we're too far sold on the QWERTY layout to switch. I had a Dvorak experience in high school. Really? Yes. So there was a period of time when if you had a PlayStation 3, you could install Linux on it. Ooh. And just being like a teenager trying to learn how to like hack different devices, I thought installing Linux on my PS3 would be very cool. And when I'm going through the setup and installing everything, I have to pick my default keyboard layout and I accidentally picked Dvorak and I was able to, once I log into my account on Linux, on Ubuntu or whatever it was, it, like the default layout would switch then to QWERTY, but I had to learn how to put my username and password in, in Dvorak for the entirety of time of having that account. <laughs> that is so funny. Uh, was it like the default option? That seems I don't like something know. that would be the default option on like a Linux-y yes. thing, yeah. you know? But sort of on your, can you buy something like this, right? Well, how I got sort of into it was my YouTube shorts algorithm got me all thrown into this speed typing realm, and which exists, turns out. And there's this thing called a Caracord. Have you ever heard of this? No. So it's basically a consumer stenography machine like keyboard that you can buy right it's called a caracord it's like 250 bucks it actually i saw separately it's on it was on shark tank this year um and it's like a less robust but like 
it's like these two cylinders on each side and they have buttons and you you use like you type multiple things at the same time it's pretty interesting i kind of want one just so i can figure out how to use it because you can type like 200 plus words a minute on this thing like i see it all over the place it's pretty cool listeners Um, just so you know my birthday is july 21st (laughs) that's coming up i hope you get one you can type all of our show notes with that (laughs) um but yeah it's pretty crazy and so like the fact that Still to this day, there's someone who sits behind a computer screen and types on a machine that no one else knows how to type on at the speed you speak. It's pretty crazy. I was reading an article from someone who was like a stenographer who did this kind of thing. People were asking her if, hey, do you actually absorb all the information of the things you're typing or are you like so in the zone that you're just typing and you don't know what's going on? She said, that's an interesting question. It actually depends kind of on who you are or how much you're able to understand. She said she herself was able to kind of get quite a bit of the content, but some people uh, just aren't. Some people have to be so in the zone and focusing to be able to type that fast that they can't actually think about what they're typing. She said she has coworkers who have live captioned sporting events for well over a year and still have no idea anything about the sport. (laughs) So that's pretty crazy. I actually went through a stint myself, a little different here. Um, when you get into like, how can you do a job on the internet from your home? Like one of the consistent ways is is transcription. I almost did this. So I actually, I still have, I bought a foot pedal and everything. Yes. Yeah. Like, so I like got into it for a while. And in order to really get into it, you have to start at these like jobs that pay you cents for you know, it's, it's hard work and you don't really make any money, but you have to be able to type a certain speed and you have to use certain software and have a foot pedal, and all this stuff. So I kind of got into it enough to try it. I probably made a hundred bucks doing it or something, but it's really hard to break into the market to actually make real money doing it. Um, but it's always been something fascinating to me. Typing fast has always kind of fascinated me. I'm a decently fast typer. I think we've talked about it. I type. Are you a touch typist? I think that's a term for like people who are like good. I don't know. I don't know. I I wouldn't. I don't. I'm gonna say no because I've never heard that term. Okay, <laughs> but it might be an old term. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not. A, I think it's fun. I think typing fast is fun. It's like a game to me, right? So I enjoy it. Um. So something about the fact that there's a job where your requirement is just to be able to type very fast seems like a job that maybe I should have gotten into. I think we both found new missed opportunities for careers today. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Factoid Podcast. Now, for our 10th episode, we're going to be doing an episode filled with listener-submitted topics. So if you have a factoid or a topic that you have heard about or you have interest in or you want to know more about but you don't want to do all the research for it, send us an email at whatsyours@factoidpodcast.com, and we will do all the work for you. So we have a couple already, um, but we could really use a couple more, one or two, uh, to help round out that episode. So send those in and we're really looking forward to it. So we're on all the major podcast platforms, as you know, and if you also want to visit our website, it is factoidpodcast.com. We'll see you in two weeks.